You guys ready for surgery today? All right, I want to I deal with something that, um, that I think is important for us to walk through. Uh, if you've been here any amount of time, I love to yell and shout um, and preach. But the problem is, is that this subject matter doesn't necessarily lend to that part. We're going to have a discussion today that I think for some of us is going to be a more difficult discussion. Um, for others, we're going we're gonna to love this discussion, right? And so you may, like, shout at me. So if you need to give me a holla at your boy, whatever you need to do, come on. Like, get up. I'm good. Like, let's do that. But um, I want us to think through something today. I want us to wrestle through something today that, um, that I believe is probably one of the most frustrating realities that we face in the Bible that, that, that Jesus points us towards. Um, but to set it up, I want to look at two pieces of scriptures. John chapter 18 and John chapter 21 give us, give us this picture. And I want to read John 18, and then we'll skip to 21. You'll see it on the screens behind me. It says this. Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest. Peter, if you don't know who Peter was, Peter was a disciple. And uh, he followed Jesus a lot everywhere that he went. And uh, he probably had one of the most awkward relationships with Jesus, if you read the Gospels, all right? So he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter remained standing outside by the door. This is the moment leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. So the other disciple, the one known by the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? There's a question. This is what Peter says. After three years of being with Jesus, after all the things that he said to Jesus, watch what he says, I am not. Nope, not me, he said. Now, the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves, and Peter was standing with them warming himself. Now, if we fast forward to John chapter 21, this is after the crucifixion. This is after Jesus gets up out of the grave. The Bible tells us that the disciples had really gone back to everything they were doing, literally just days, days after all of this had transpired. The Bible tells us that Peter went back to being a fisherman as he, as he was. And he was out on the boat and he's hanging out and he sees Jesus on the beach. And in this moment, Peter gets really excited because of what's about to transpire, even though he didn't know what was about to transpire. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him for he had taken it off and plunged into the sea. He was so excited he didn't even know what to do with his clothes. Since they were not far off from land, about 100 miles, uh, yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. Verse 9, and when they got out on land, watch what they saw. They saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Jesus would then invite Peter to this fire that he had prepared for him. And then watch what happens in verse 15 when they had eaten breakfast. Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you, have, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to them, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. The second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. Verse 17, he asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Some things that we need to notice here before I, before I give you the title of my message today. One, many scholars and theologians would believe that in Jesus doing this with Peter, he was reversing the three denials that had taken place. Peter would deny him three times in, in the narrative of the Gospels, 
Jesus would then ask him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And, and for me, we can look at that and we can, we can see that reality there, how much theology I can dig into that. I, like, I don't know, but I think it's definitely a beautiful picture for sure to, to understand that whether Jesus was doing that or not, or maybe he just simply thought that Peter didn't get it, so he needed to ask him three times. <laughs> right? Like, are you hearing me, Peter? But what I want us to see here in the picture that I want us to grab, and which is the title of my message today, is I want to speak to you from the subject as we continue on in the series, Mixtapes and Love Letters. I want to speak to you from the subject, Two Fires. Two Fires. As we deal with the power and the purpose of reconciliation in our lives. And before we go any further, I want you to just pray with me one more time. And uh, let's just ask God to do a work in our hearts this morning. Can we do that today? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for our time together. We thank you that you are moving, that you are alive, and you're active, and your word is too. God, none of us are in this building today by mistake. We're here on purpose, and so I pray today that as we work through this message, you would teach us, you would challenge us, and ultimately you would heal us, that we would leave better than we came in today. God, I thank you for the moment that we can come together as a community of people. We can hear your word, apply, our, apply your word, and have our lives be made better because of it. We love you and we worship you today. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. Let, let's just show hands therapeutic moment. How many of you would say that at one time or another in your life you've had a broken relationship? A broken relationship. Okay. How many of you would say somebody has offended me or I have offended somebody? Let's see. The rest of you, you're liars. So. <laughs> Relationships are weird, aren't they? They're hard. They're, they're, they're difficult. I think so many times, especially like um, when I first got married, I had an idea. Married couples, if you remember this, uh, you had an idea of what marriage was going to be. And then two and a half days in, <laughs> that idea was destroyed. Right? And then, you had, then, that, then the negotiation starts. Right? I talked with young couples. They somehow stayed in that phase for a year. And then it was like right after a year, they were like, it's different than I thought. I'm like, you're just now getting that? Relationships are hard. Friendships are hard. We talk about friendships in this, in this series. Co- co-working relationships are hard. Church is hard, right? Uh, there's people in here this morning, many of us in here this morning that are gonna come into this place carrying a little thing that I call church hurt. You've been hurt by church. No matter which, which type of denomination or faith background you come from, we, we carry stuff that, that has hurt us. It's, it's wounded us. And here's the problem that I've noticed, and maybe you would agree with me on this. I could teach a message about forgiveness today and everybody be up on their feet hollering and getting excited about this because you know, yeah, I can forgive because forgiveness means I've forgiven you, but I'm not around you. Right? It's easy to forgive those that I'll never be around again. It's easy to usher forgive. Even in, in sometimes the worst of, of, of situations that we have to forgive, we learn, oh man, forgiveness is the releasing of power that that person has over my life, that it's ultimately about me forgiving them regardless of whether they ask for it or not. I can forgive you and we can get good with that message. Why? Because I ain't ever gonna be around that person again. Like, I forgive you, go away. But there's this other point of reference that Jesus shows us with Peter right here, it's not forgiveness, it's more than forgiveness, it's reconciliation. 
And it's a different journey of faith. It's a different reality in our lives. It's one thing to forgive somebody. It's another thing to reconcile with somebody. See, forgiveness is saying, listen, the offense that I have towards you, that thing that has happened, or vice versa, I'm not going to allow that to have power in my life anymore. That's forgiveness. Reconciliation is saying, I have forgiven you, and I'm going to try to restore community once again. That's scary. That's hard. Because for some of us right now in our heads, you're saying, well, you're asking me to have that abusive person in my life again? That's the question we're asking. But my marriage, I mean, it's, it seems like it's at its end. Like, I, I, I don't feel like I'm in love anymore. I don't feel like this. There's, there's this involved. There's infidelity involved. There's hurt involved. There's hate involved. There's all these different things. Can we talk real stuff in church? And so reconciliation is, I'll forgive them but I don't want to be around them. And I get it. At the end of the day, there's some measures. We're going to talk about how, we're going to talk about the safety in reconciliation. Like, how do we do that? What does that look like? But the ultimate goal, if I'm, if I'm going to be really honest with all of us this morning, okay, that the ultimate goal that we see in Scripture, that God is asking of us, is not to just forgive people, but it's to reconcile with people. Two fires. The fire of offense the fire of reconciliation. Peter stood at one fire and denied Jesus. Broke the relationship. He, 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 he broke everything that he said he wouldn't, he, he did what he said he wasn't gonna do. You ever been there before? Two fires. And I think for many of us, if we're not careful, we will live at the fire of offense our entire life and never sit at the fire of reconciliation. If you look at our world right now, if you look at our culture right now, if you look at things that are happening in society, come on, can you see two fires at play? There is a big burning fire of offense. It's like a dumpster fire of offense happening. And there's a lot of people standing around this fire of offense. And I'm wondering if we as the church, I'm wondering if we as Christ followers can be the type of people that say, listen, I am not going to live at the fire of offense. I'm going to live at the fire of reconciliation. And my job is to live at this fire. My job is to invite people to this fire. That's what I love about Jesus. As he said, Peter, I'm not going to allow you to live at that fire. I want you at this fire. I want to take you from here and I want to move you to there. So where is that in the Bible, Jason? I will tell you. <laughs> Sounds like a great idea, but I want the Bible to tell me. All right, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 19. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we've known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old has passed away. And see, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then watch. He has given us then, through that reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation. See, some of us are asking ourselves, have I been called to ministry? What is my calling? Every single one of us has been called to the ministry of reconciliation, and it's the greatest ministry ever given. Ministry is not just standing behind a pulpit. Ministry is not just up here on a stage. Ministry is not the stage. Ministry is reconciliation. The ministry 
of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So, reconciliation from the biblical picture is this, is that God and in our sin have been separated. Jesus, the mediator of our faith, was given because God so loved the world. Because God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And that son paid the ultimate price upon the cross, giving reconciliation to those who have acted in a way that was different from what God wanted for us. And therefore he said, I've got to repair this relationship. And even in your worst behavior, I still love you because reconciliation has taken place through Jesus. And then he said, I give you that ministry. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I give you that ministry. Paul's section in Corinthians right here is saying to us, when we are reconciled vertically, we will do everything in our power to reconcile horizontally. And church, I don't know about you, but there's never been a point in our world where it needs it more. The church is not a place of, of, of shared, like it's not a collection of shared ideas all the time. Ideologies. Behaviors. Come on. The church is a place, honestly, where those doors are open. I don't know what you brought in here. I, don't even, I do not know what you're carrying this morning. But I wonder if we can be reconciled to God first, then to each other afterwards. So I want to teach us how to do that today. I want, I want to walk through how we do that in the little time that I have left. So I need your help today. Um, everybody shout number one. Here's the first thing that we need to understand about reconciliation. Is that relational reconciliation is the product of personal repentance. Everybody shout repent. Turn to your neighbor and say, repent. (laughs) Turn back to your neighbor and say, you repent. (laughs) Some of you right now in saying that word repent, you're like, I don't like that word in my mouth. Have you ever noticed that this word repent has become almost like a dirty word in our culture? Like we're like, oh, just like, I love grace. (laughs) That tastes good. Like, I love me some grace. But somebody puts repent in front of me, and I'm like, I don't want your Brussels sprouts. <laughs> you know, like, like, repent is the Brussels sprouts of theology. It's like, I don't want it. It may be good for me, but it's gross. What are Brussels sprouts? At the end of the day, it's bad broccoli. That's what, that's what Brussels sprouts are. Seriously, think about this. Have you seen the little tiny things that make up broccoli? That is a Brussels sprout, enlarged. So repentance isn't something that we like. We love grace. We love that idea. Uh, yeah, that, that's great. But when we say repentance, when it comes out of our mouth, it's so, some of us have negative reactions to it right now. Why? Church hurt. We're living at that fire. <laughs> We're living at that fire still. Listen to Proverbs 28, verse 13. The one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. We have to remember is that reconciliation is different than forgiveness. I can forgive without having to reestablish a relationship, but where there is going to be personal communion once again, there must be personal repentance. See, here's the thing. We want all the relational benefits without any of the relational responsibility. 
Personal repentance is more than just saying I'm sorry. This is where we get into the practical application in our relationships. It's it, like if Dave cusses at me every time he sees me, right? And calls me names and yells at me and beats me up. <laughs> he's a big dude. He's a firefighter. Like he's got muscles and everything like that, right? So he bullies me and everything like that because I'm shorter than him and smaller than him and weaker than him and just generally a smaller man than he is. And, and, <laughs> and after every single time he does that, he says, Jason, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How many of you made the first time? Okay, he made a mistake. Second time is no longer a mistake. And I'm sorry loses its power after the second time. How many of you know that I'm sorry loses its power after the third time? I'm sorry loses its power after the fourth time. See, relational reconciliation depends upon personal repentance. Here's what personal repentance is. It's more than I'm sorry. Personal repentance is I'm sorry and I'm going to change my behavior. That's the difference. See, some of us are in relationship with people right now that we're trying to reconcile it, but there's no personal responsibility being engaged upon. It's I'm sorry. And then you go like I do sometimes, but you haven't changed your behavior. And we don't want to talk this way in church because so many times we think, well, that's legalistic. That's not legalistic at all. It's about recognizing the actions and behaviors that we've engaged in that bring disunity, disruption, hurt, and pain to the relationships that we participate in. All right? See, if I'm not careful, I'm sorry can become a mere platitude instead of a lasting disposition. Our sorry lasts when our behavior changes. Come on, am I, t- am I talking to anybody today? I hope this helps us out in our relationships. My sorry lasts when my behavior changes. <laughs> this is what Jesus was doing at the second fire, the fire of reconciliation, all right? See, Peter was the one who, who did what he said he wasn't going to do. Peter had to change. And that's what Jesus was trying to get across in the whole deal of it all. He was trying to make sure that Peter was going to change. See, here's, here's, the, here's the reality. We can, look at the, we can look at the moment at the second fire, and we can see, see, there it is. Jesus is being legalistic. He's saying, Peter, you have to change if you want my love. That's not what he said. Watch the question that Jesus asked. He said, Peter, do you love me? See, Jesus, he wasn't making an assessment of his love towards Peter. He loved Peter. What he was trying to get at was, Peter, if you love me like you say you love me, will your behavior change? Because at this fire, you denied me. At this fire, I'm going to restore you. But I need to know that there's going to be a difference between these two fires. Because if you love me, then feed my sheep. Take care of things. Step into your destiny. And for many of us, we cannot move into the destiny that God has for us until we move from the first fire to the second fire. And some of us are so stuck at the first fire, the fire of offense, that we haven't allowed reconciliation and we're wondering why we're not stepping into everything that God has for us. Two fires. And so we have to have personal repentance. I've got to say I'm sorry and then change my 
behaviors. We were on vacation with my kids. How many of you know three kids in a car for two weeks, multiple hours of driving is a recipe for disaster? <laughs> right? Nuts. Thank you. I got a witness in church today. It was nuts. Yelling in the car, like my, kid, like my, my two oldest, they're in the place in their relationship where everything's a fight. It doesn't matter. Justice can be like, Shiloh, I love you. And she will go off the rails at him. <laughs> Simply because he talked to her. So they're fighting and they're going at it. It was like every other minute, it was another argument about another thing. We put Eliana in the middle so we could try to separate them. And then it got worse because now they're fighting over Eliana. And then Eliana decided, hey, this needs a score underneath it. So she created a sound that when they started fighting, she felt needed to come with it. And then they're fighting and everything like that. And Eliana's like right underneath it going, yeah, like just I'm like, baby, that's flat, but keep on going. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be truthful with you. About a week, like a week into the vacation, Eric and I were like, we're out in the woods. No one would know. <laughs> you laugh because you thought it. Can we be real in church today? So, so we're out there. We can half into the vacation now comes. And I have heard sorry now from my kids about 55 times. I'm sorry. And they, they do, I'm sorry. Come on, parents. How many of you know what I'm talking about? So finally, I, I took my boy outside. And I built a fire for him. I'm just kidding. We didn't do that. <laughs> Had some fish. <laughs> so I, I took him out on this deck. And I, and I sat down with him. And we were sitting there. He's like, Dad, like, what's up? And I said, I want you to realize something, son. That I love it when you say I'm sorry. But here's my concern. My concern is that your sorry is going to no longer have weight with me if you don't fix your behavior. Because what happens is if we don't fix our behavior and we just keep on saying sorry, we're demeaning the relationship. You're telling me that you don't love me. You're telling me that you don't care for me. Because what you're saying is, I'm sorry, but I'm going to still abuse the fill in the blank. So racial reconciliation, or <laughs> relational, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. We're, we're going there. <laughs> Racial reconciliation happens at personal repentance. Don't get quiet on me, church. Did you know that I've apologized to friends that cross and live in a different racial reality than I do? And I wouldn't say that I've done anything wrong. But what I would say is that I've made assumptions because of who I am. Oh, don't get quiet on me, church. <laughs> because here's what I've realized at the end of the day, that the steps towards relational reconciliation starts with I'm sorry, and I want to make sure that I do not have behaviors in my life that keep the narrative going, that keep the things moving. You know what I'm saying? And we talk this way in church right now because we're not in a church that's an all whatever church. And I will not pastor a all 
in this case, white church. And so what we have to understand is that if we are going to have the fabric of heaven sitting in these four walls, we need to know and understand what's happening here. He just went there. How many of you are like me? I don't want to come into church and hear the same things that I've been hearing for 30 years. If I don't leave church with an ouch, I want to know what we're doing. Okay? Sorry, can I be your pastor this morning? So relational reconciliation is the product of personal repentance. Say, I'm sorry. Change. (laughs) How do I fix my marriage? Say, I'm sorry. Change. How do I fix my friendship? Say, I'm sorry. Change. Right? How do, how, do I fix, how do I fix it? Change. Sorry, change. Sorry, change. Sorry, change. But change is hard. Yes, not everything's easy. Are we? Okay. Number two. Every shot number two. Some of you are like, I'm not shouting anything anymore. Relational reconciliation is the product of personal restoration. This is what I mean by that. In order to to reconcile here, I need to reconcile here. I have to be restored. See, Jesus moved Peter from the first fire to the second fire in order to restore him. I mean, think about what Peter was dealing with at the end of the day. They had one of the most volatile relationships that you, can, that you can see, Peter and Jesus. Like there's a moment in their ministry where like Peter's telling Jesus who he was. He's like, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, man, God has given you that insight. Well done, Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. Peter's all excited. He feels so proud. Sentences later. <laughs> Jesus is like, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Like, verses. Peter's chopping people's ears off. Right? He's bossing the disciples around. He's hopping out of boats and sinking on the water. Ye of little faith. Like, all of these. This is Peter. Jesus loved Peter, though. And then Peter's running, I'll never deny you, Jesus. Uh-uh, not, not ever. I'll never deny you. Are you one of his? Nope, uh-uh. <laughs> nope. We're good. Think about what's happening in Peter at that moment. Because for the most part, how many of you would agree with me, there's times that we have offended people, and we knew that we offended people, And we felt, as we stood at that fire, the weight of that offense. Here's the interesting part. Many of us can't leave this fire of offense over to the fire of reconciliation. Because somewhere deep inside, we don't even believe God would forgive us of things. So one of the reasons that we don't reconcile with people is that we don't believe we've been reconciled to God. This is the message of the gospel. 
This is the message of grace. This is why we understand from the place that we understand that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. He reconciled us because of Jesus. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through, he did it for you. But no, 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 you don't understand. You're right, I don't understand. But, but you don't understand like the stuff that I've done and, 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 and the badness of it. It's not even really a word in context. Even the teenagers are like, uh-uh, that's not how you say it, Pastor Jason. We know. But you don't, under- you don't understand the degree of my fault. You don't understand the degree of my doubt. You don't understand the degree of all this thing. Here's what I've come to learn is that at the end of the day, we are never going to find a sin that is bigger than grace. Now, some of us struggle with that because you're like, I can name a few. But then grace wouldn't be grace. It would be grace on discount. (laughs) It's good for this, 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 and nope, not that. personal restoration. What I love it about this fire right here is that, that Jesus knew that Peter was living at that fire. How cool is it that in the resurrection of Jesus, he finds the time in everything that he could have been doing, the PR campaign that he could have been on for his ministry. Hey, y'all, I got up out of the grave. Like, like, I am up. Do you believe yet in all of that that he could have been doing? Strolling around, seeing people healed, letting them know that he was who he said he was. In all of that, have you ever thought about this before? That Jesus would stop and cook fish on a fire for Peter. Because let's be really honest, if it's you and I, nope. I'm not having breakfast with Peter. And we do it, don't we? I'm not doing Thanksgiving with him. I'm not doing Christmas with them. I'll show up to Christmas Eve service. I'll sit next to them. I'll worship back at them. (laughs) But we're not having dinner together. First fire. I think our marriages look like this sometimes. You want to see a funny picture? Seth, will you pop up really quick? This is a weird illustration for marriage, but I didn't want to grab your wife because I got weirder, so I'm just... (laughs) (laughs) My wife's not here! Um, One or other in the relationship can be sitting around that fire, and we're sitting over here. Here's the even crazier one. Come over here, bud. (laughs) when we're sitting together at the same fire. We are, <laughs> we're friends. So, yes, I've offended him. He's offended me. And we're finding our unity over the fire of offense. And we say things like, we're so distant, there's nothing there anymore and everything like that. Yeah, there is, it's called a fire of offense. It's sitting right between you. It's not distance, we're actually the closest we've ever been sitting around the same fire. <laughs> and this is what some of our marriages, we're like, I just want to be close. You are close. It's around the fire of offense. So why don't we take each other and say, hey, listen, why don't we, why don't we migrate together 
over to the fire of reconciliation. Right? Why, why, don't you come, why don't you come with me? And while there may be distance, while there may be, I'm sitting at the fire of offense, and he's sitting at the fire of reconciliation, maybe, just maybe, both of us could say, listen, at the end of the day, no matter where I'm at, no matter which fire I'm sitting at, I still need Jesus. And what I've come to know is that when there's personal restoration that takes place, I quickly start moving away from this fire because I know what Jesus has done in my life, and then we come to unity around this fire. Here's the funny thing. If you look at the world around us right now, we're all hanging at the fire of offense. And we're wondering, how do we fix this problem? How do we do this? How do we do that? Devon, come here, come here, come here. Quick, 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 quick. Hop up here. We got the issues that we're having. Let's just paint it what it is. I'm going to come back to it. We've got this issue, white, black, Latino. You know what it means? We're all sitting around this fire of offense. Why don't we link arms and say, let's take a journey together. Why don't we get at the fire of reconciliation? Why don't we try to do some stuff right here instead of warming our hands over here, talking about our offenses, talking about the things that are bothering? Man, I want to sit at this fire. I want to be at this place right here. But what it takes... There's some people who are willing to get before God and say, I need my personal restoration first. You guys can sit down. Thanks, guys. Are you you hearing me this morning, church? And I'm not sorry for going back to these illustrations. They are important illustrations that the world needs us to answer as the church. And we sometimes as the church are sitting back. We're not going to say anything. I don't want to offend anybody. (laughs) I don't want to create another fire. The fire's already there. Come on. The fire's already We're not creating more fires by talking to it. The fire is already, it is raging. Like it's there, and we're all getting heat off it. Some of us are like, that fire is so hot, I got to back off because I'm sweating over here. Oh, man, I want to stay on this point for so long. Can I preach for an hour, guys? Do you care? I'm just... (laughs) Some of the new people are like, nope. Can we go back? Uh, Watch what it said. You are not one of this man's disciples too, are you? I am not, he said. Now the servants and the officials, the very people crucifying Jesus, had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. There were standing there, they were there standing there warming themselves, and Peter was standing with them warming himself. He was standing with his offense, warming themselves on the same fire. Wondering why change wasn't being made. Relational reconciliation is the product of personal restoration. Getting my heart right. Getting my heart right. And the last one is this, number three. Ever shot number three? Relation, uh, relational reconciliation is the product of personal responsibility. We got to take responsibility. I'm going to end on this. James chapter one, verses 13 to 17 says this. No one... No one. No one. Ever shot no one? Ever shot no one? Ever shot no one? No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil. And he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by Satan. 
by his neighbor, by his boss, by his co-worker, by his spouse. No, no, we're enticed by his own evil desire. Own. You know, the devil made me do it. It's no longer a great argument. Right? Like, I tried to use that once. A Krispy Kreme. It didn't work. <laughs> Even the lady behind the counter, she's like, you can't use that one, bro. You pulled your wallet out. I'm now four deep in blueberry donuts, right? <laughs> my, my, my son, you know you're in a pastor's house when this is your son's argument. This was my son's argument one time. He did something that we were like, oh, bro, you can't do that. <laughs> He's in the middle of the room. He goes, it's Satan! That's what he said to us. That's what he said. I was like, you're getting smart, kid. No, doesn't work. And so I gave him a dissertation in theology. Let him know how it works. That the devil's now under our feet. That he didn't have any power. That no weapon formed us can prosper. That everything that we have in Christ is yes and amen. The devil doesn't have power over me. He can, he can throw some stuff at me. He can pepper me with some stuff. But the, he didn't have power over me. Nine out of ten things that we deal with is what? My own desire. My own desire. <laughs> Everybody's like, I'm never coming back here again. He's messing with my stuff. Come on, am, am I talking to anybody this morning? Personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. That means, watch this. Personal responsibility is not just owning our actions from the past, but owning the ones of our future. See, it's not just these were my actions and I own them. It's now owning my actions of the future. And this is where it gets hard because for some of us, you're thinking in your head right now, maybe you've been thinking all service, well, how do I have relational restoration and reconciliation with this person when they're still the same person? And I get that reality. We have to go through the journey, and this is what's helping that we all have to. And, and re- I'm, I'm trying to help us in the context, especially of the relationships that, we're having, that, that we have in here as well. There's married couples sitting right here, two fires going on. And it's amazing how many times I've sat with people and like, what would happen if everybody just took personal responsibility for the mess-ups in the relationship? <laughs> how quick would we move from fire one to fire two? Two fires. So I've come up with an equation as to how we build trust. This is where trust comes from. And I think trust is the foundation. If we can talk relationship, trust is the foundation of personal reconciliation, right? This is what comes out of when I take personal responsibility, we trust. I, I trust Seth unequivocally. I pick on him a lot, but I've known this man for 15 years or so. I trust him. And there's some reasons that I trust him. So I developed an equation for trust. This is where trust comes from. You ready? First thing is this character. This is what character is. Character is doing what you say you are going to do. That's character. But then we're going to double down on it. I trust you not because you have character, but you also have integrity. This is what integrity is. Doing what you say you are going to do when no one's looking. Because how many of you know that it's easy to do what you say you're going to do when everybody's looking, when you've got an audience? How many of you know it's a lot harder to do what you say you're going to do when you don't have an audience? And then there's one more to it, consistency. Doing what you say you are going to do repeatedly, no matter what the cost. And from those three things, we have trust. In other words, relational reconciliation is the product of personal responsibility. If you want somebody to trust you, take personal responsibility for it. You know what's amazing to me? Is that we have people who are dating in this room. 
maybe not each other, but you like you're in the dating game. And you're giving trust away to people that have none of those things. And then we go, how come my relationship is so hard right now? Or you say it this way, we don't need trust. He has potential. She has potential. (laughs) A ficus has potential. He has potential. <laughs> Ficus. <laughs> Did you know I don't trust people on potential? I trust people on pattern. Show me your pattern. And pattern is character, integrity, and consistency. Character, integrity, and consistency. That's great that somebody has potential. Can I tell you something? Potential is only realized through pattern. You never step into potential outside of patterns. Raise your children in the way they should go so they shall not depart from it. What's the Bible saying? Create a pattern so they do not depart from it. Don't just speak into their potential. My kids have potential. Yeah, 100%. I don't deal with their potential. I deal with their pattern because if I speak to their, pa- their potential without developing their pattern, they will never reach their potential. They will stand miles away seeing their potential and never know how to get there. So the potential of our marriages is built on patterns. Patterns are built on trust. Trust is comprised of character, consistency, and integrity. That is how we build healthy marriages. That is how we build healthy friendships. That is how we build healthy churches. That is how we build healthy workplaces. That is how we build any relationship to be healthy is built on these things in Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet with me?